Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au So 1 Samuel chapter 1, 1 Samuel chapter 1, as we go to the Word of God. 1 Samuel chapter 1, and reading from verse 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1, reading from verse 1. The Bible says, There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zophite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah. Let's go straight to verse 2. He had two wives. Uh, one was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at a place called Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of, of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah. He gave a double portion because he loved her. And the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple in bitterness of soul. Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And so Lord, we're just grateful that we can gather in a place like this on a Sunday morning to worship you and to sit at your feet and hear your word. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. There'd be nothing in me that hinders this word. I just pray that by the Holy Spirit, you would speak to us today. Bind every fear and intimidation. Just let there be freedom to hear your word, Lord God, and to speak your word today. Let this word make a difference in our lives, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Well, a special welcome uh, to uh, all of our mums today on this special Mother's Day, uh, just on behalf of all of our leadership, and as Dan has said, and uh, just a, a, you, you form a, the backbone of our church, and we're so grateful to have you part of us, and we thank you for all the work that you do tirelessly in, in families. Um, I want to speak today on the subject, uh, setbacks and setups, and to do that, we're going to look at one of my favorite mums in the Bible, and her name is Hannah. Uh, Hannah was responsible for the birth of one of the great prophets uh, of Israel. His name was uh, Samuel. Uh, Her story is recounted in the first couple of chapters uh, in 1 Samuel. And uh, there are some powerful lessons that we can learn from her that I pray will speak to all of us uh, today. Um, To get an understanding of her story, we need to understand the context of where the people of Israel were at. First uh, Samuel comes after Joshua and Judges. In Joshua, we read the story of how the people of Israel entered into the promised land. Uh, Joshua describes uh, that whole entering in uh, to the promised land, the promised land that God had promised to the people of Israel again and again. Um, Book of Joshua, Joshua recounts how they uh, encountered one king after another, how they defeated one enemy after another and took possession of the land that God had promised them. By the time we get into Judges, 
Joshua, Judges, that's the next book, um, things had began to deteriorate in Israel. The wheels had started to fall off. Uh, they were making treaties with other nations, a thing that God had told them not to do. And because they started to do that, um, they had started to forsake God. They'd started to turn away from God and they started to worship the idols and the bowels of the other nations. It's interesting that um, God had led the people of Israel out of Egypt powerfully. Here they were 400 years in slavery in Egypt. God leads them out of Egypt powerfully. Miracles, plagues, uh, the Red Sea. If you haven't watched the Ten Commandments, watch that movie because it's still a great movie. How God made a way through the Red Sea. I mean, it was miraculous. Um, Miraculous how he enabled them to take possession of a promised land in a place where there were giants, people bigger than them, stronger than them, and yet they came in and they took possession of this incredible land. Something that seemed impossible. Yet within one generation, within one generation of settling into the promised land, they had forsaken God. They turned away from the God that had got them there and they started worshipping the Baals. It's a reminder to every generation of the responsibility that we have to pass on our faith. Can I hear an amen? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a responsibility that every generation has to pass on their faith. Judges finish with this, with this terrible verse. It says, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's the book of Judges. The book of Judges uh, is, a, is a book that describes this, this rotation that happened in the people of Israel. They'd get closer to God and then they'd, and then the, and then they'd wander off and they'd wander away and they'd They'd be captured by enemy nations. God would raise up a judge like Gideon and Samson and Deborah and God would help them through that and then they'd get closer to God and then they'd drift back. And book of Judges is this cycle that happens again and again and finishes off with this terrible verse which says, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It was a terrible time for the nation of Israel. There was no order, no convictions, no word of the Lord. Eli was the priest but he was spineless and passive. He was the one who was meant to be representing God in the temple. But this guy was spineless and passive. He had two sons, uh, Hophni and uh, what was the other guy's name? Phineas and Hophni. There's a couple of names for your kids. I mean, if you want to be different, there you go. You know, uh, Hophni and Phineas. Uh, so two sons that, uh, that he had. And, and these guys were serving in the temple with their father. Uh, but they were evil and they had no fear of God. People would come and sacrifice back in the Old Testament. They would sacrifice animals unto the Lord. What these two guys would do is take the best of the meat, something that they were not meant to do at all. These guys would sleep with the women who came to the temple. It was disgraceful. It was dishonorable. Uh, and Eli, the father, actually did nothing about it at all. So God is about to do something. God has been watching this pattern year after year after year. He's been watching this pattern for, for, for a, number of, a number of years. He's about to do something. He's about to intervene in the situation. And notice what he does and how he does it and through whom he does that. So that's the background. And we enter into 1 Samuel with the words, there was a certain man from Ramatham, a Zophite from the hill country Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah. And he had two wives. Uh, Hannah and Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Now, once a year, they would go to Shiloh. They would go, that's where the temple was. They would go there to sacrifice unto the Lord. It was a time of rejoicing. It was a time of blessing. It was a time of thanking God for all the great things that he had done and how he had blessed them, And as we read in our text. And this was a time of blessing for most people, but not for Hannah. 
For Hannah, this was a terrible time because it reminded her of her own barrenness. It reminded her of the situation that was in, that she was in. It reminded her of the challenges that she was facing in her own life. And to make matters worse, Penina, the other one, the other wife, would provoke her continuously. Uh, that's why it's not a good idea to have two wives. Just, just putting it out there. You know what I mean. Um, this went on year after year. Uh, whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. I mean, this, this was so terrible, this was so bad, that, that she, 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 she just wept and, and, and didn't even want to eat any food. So Hannah was not only carrying her own shame and sorrow, she was being harassed by Penina. Um, but the interesting part that I find in this whole story is how Hannah reacted to all of this. What I find interesting and what speaks to all of us is, is how she reacted to this whole difficult situation that she was facing in our life. You know, all of us will face some challenges in our life. All of us will face some times in our life where just things don't seem to go the way we, the way we think. And it's going to do one of two things in us. It's either going to bring us closer to God or it's going to turn us away from God. Either it's going to bring us into the presence of God, crying out to God, or it's going to tell us, it's going to react, we're going to react and we're going to say, well, where is God and we're going to turn away from God? I, I just love the way Hannah reacted in her situation. I just love the way that she, she, she reacted in this, in this difficult situation. The Bible says this, verse 10, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. What, 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 this, what, this, what, what she did, what, what, what this situation did for Hannah is it brought her into the presence of God and she began to weep. She prays, makes a vow to the Lord that if he gave her a son, she would consecrate him to the Lord. God speaks to her through Eli, uh, who was there, going peace and may the God of Israel grant what you've asked of him. And the Bible then says she went away, worshipped the Lord. And then there's this beautiful verse, and the Lord remembered her. And the Lord remembered her. God granted her request, and Samuel was born. And uh, it's just a great story. There's a couple of principles that I want to kind of tease out here that I pray will speak to us as we prepare uh, to approach communion this morning. Um, the first lesson we learn from this story is uh, that God is not absent in our pain. God is not absent in our pain. What I love about the story is that there's so much detail provided regarding Samuel's birth. Um, birth of Samuel could easily have been tackled in one verse, uh, pretty simply, and Hannah gave birth to Samuel. Thank you very much. And we move on from there. I mean, that, that would have eliminated practically all of chapter 1 and most of chapter 2 as well, and we could have got on. You know, cut it short. Uh, one verse. Instead, there's so much detail in the text. Uh, how many people know there's no accidents in the Bible? How many people know that if there's a verse in the Bible, it's because it needs to be there? And most of all, it speaks to us in some way and it speaks to us about our own lives. And I believe it's there because it speaks to us about our own situations. Because I'm sure there are many of us here today who can identify with Hannah. I I'm sure we may not, we, there, there are people here today that may not have the same need as Hannah had. But I'm sure many of us can identify with the pain that she was experiencing. See, all of us will experience times in our life where we're filled with intense pain. Where the pain is so deep and so profound, we don't have the words to describe it. The Bible says that she's praying, her, her, her lips are, are moving, but there's no sounds coming out. 
It's not because she couldn't speak. It was a reflection of how deep the pain was inside of her heart. Situations that we face that don't seem to make any sense. Situations that don't seem to have any purpose. As we look at what we're facing, the situation doesn't seem to to have any kind of purpose. Situations where it seems like God is absent, silent, where he seems so far away. Where it seems like God has forgotten us. And the questions are coming into our heart and mind. Well, where is God? Where, Where is God in the situation that I'm facing? This story reminds us. Because we have hindsight, because we can see the whole story. This story reminds us that God was there all along, that God is not absent in our pain. That God was working out his purpose in Hannah's life. That what looked like a dark moment in her life, what looked like just bad luck for Hannah, that what looked like a major setback was in fact a setup for what God was about to do in her. I don't know who you are today. And I don't know what you're going through right now, but there might be some people going through a time like Hannah was going through this morning. When nothing seems to be going to plan, where you feel defeated and broken, where you feel like God has forgotten you. I want you to know that God is near the brokenhearted. I want you to know that God is not absent. I want you to know that God is not tired, that God is not stressed, that God is not busy, that God is not somewhere doing some other stuff, that God has forgotten you. That God has not abandoned you, that he is very much involved in your life. What may seem like the worst time in your life is in fact God working out his purpose in you. What may seem like the absence of God is actually God preparing you and shaping you and forming you and humbling you for what he's about to do in your life. All throughout the Bible we see situations like this. All throughout the Bible, we see, we see Hannah's story kind of repeated again and again. Um, you know, the Bible, we got, we've got uh, Joshua, Judges, as actually Ruth in between Judges and, and 1 Samuel. Read the story of Ruth. It's the same kind of story. Joseph is in a pit. Moses is in the desert. Gideon is in a wine press, afraid. The Philistines are attacking uh, the people of Israel, and he's in a wine press. It looks terrible. It looks dark. It looks like the Philistines are, are, are winning the battle. Joseph had his face with a mighty army he can't defeat. A widow has just a bit of oil and flour left, and then she's going to die. Ruth has lost her husband. David is on the run. Saul in a prison. John is on the Isle of Patmos. These were all situations that seemed hopeless and dark. It looked like there was no hope. It looked like there was no purpose to what they they, they were going through. It, It looked like just a random act of bad luck. But these were not some random acts. God was there in the midst of it. God was right there in the midst of it. Those of us that can read 1 Samuel, we actually get the whole story. And what the whole story teaches us is that God was right there in the midst of it. I'm sure as Hannah was reflecting on what she was going through, it didn't feel like God was in the midst of it. It didn't feel like God was there with her and God was was guiding and leading that. It didn't look like any of that was happening. But God was right there in the midst. Bible says, steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. It's a beautiful verse. Come on, we quote it often. We, uh, we talk about, you know, the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. We looked at a bit of this on, 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 on last Wednesday night. So often when we quote the verse, we think about the good steps. That's true. I, I believe that. That as we turn to God, as we get closer to God, the God orders our steps. I, I don't believe that things just happen by chance. 
Good luck or bad luck. The steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord, but there are times where God will step us into some situations that seem painful. But those situations are filled with the purposes of God. Hannah reminds us that God can use some of the worst situations in our life. Hannah reminds us that God has not abandoned us, that God has not left us. He's still on the throne. He is sovereign. He's above every circumstance and every situation. And no one can frustrate the plans of God. Can I hear an amen? Amen. That God is not absent or silent, that He's very present help in times of need. That He is there. One one of the things that these situations will do is they will will cause us to question God. I was reading just last night, I was reading the book of Habakkuk. And Habakkuk begins with these questions where the prophet Habakkuk is asking God, Where are you? What are you doing, God? How come come you're not intervening in my situation? Those questions will always come into our heart and in our minds. And as I said before, it's either going to bring us closer to God or it's going to to, to bring us away from God. Let me say, the greatest thing we, we can do with those questions, and it's not a sin to have those questions. Some people say, well, if you're spiritual, you will never question God. Or maybe you're spiritual and you'll never question God. I'm not spiritual because I question God. Habakkuk wasn't too spiritual either, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of one with Habakkuk. The greatest thing we can do with our questions, it's not whether we ask the questions or don't ask the questions, it's what we do with those questions. And the greatest thing that we can do is bring them into the presence of God. God is not absent or silent. He's a very present help in times of need. David spent 13 years on the run from Saul, and even when he became king, he faced So many enemies, situations that seemed hopeless, situations where it felt like God had abandoned him, where God had left him. It it, it seemed like God was actually working against him. The the, the Bible says that that, uh, he was elected king. Uh, uh, Samuel had come and and poured oil on his head and he was was, uh, ordained the next king of, of Israel. And then he's on the run for 13 years from Saul. Uh, But listen, it's in those situations where David wrote some of his most powerful psalms. It's in, it's in those situations where, where David faced some of the worst enemies, some of the most powerful enemies. It was, it was in those situations where David seemed to, to go down to the depth of despair that he wrote some of the most powerful psalms. Psalms that seem to describe exactly what we're going through. Psalms that we, when we open up the Bible, we're going through despair. And if you are going through a tough time, can I encourage you to read the Psalms? Can I encourage you to go to, to the Psalms? Because the Psalms are a fount of encouragement. David, who seems to describe exactly what we're going through. Go over to the New Testament and you see Paul who was getting towards the end of his life. He's in Rome, he's in a prison, and he's writing some letters to the churches he had started. It just looked like a nothing. It looked like this great man of God who who had done incredible things for God was finishing on such a terrible note. A man that had, had, had seen God do incredible miracles. This man who had done just amazing things from God. He'd gone town to town. He'd started churches. God had used them in a powerful way. He's getting to the end of his life and he's in a prison uh, in Rome. And it looks like it's terrible. What, what an ending to his life. What, what, a, what an ending to this incredible life that he's had. He's heard the voice of God. He's actually heard the audible voice of God, done incredible things. And so what does he decide to do while he's there? While he's in this Roman prison, he says, listen, can I have some paper and a pen? I want to write some letters. 
If he had a computer, he'd write some, send some emails. He writes some letters. He's just writing some letters to the churches that he started. He hears different things that are happening in those churches, so he starts to write letters to them. Paul could easily have become bitter towards God. Paul could easily have complained about his circumstances. He could have easily said, well, well what was the point of all of that? What was the point of, 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 of living a life so consecrated to God? What was the point of all of that? Here I am finishing off in a prison. Many of those letters form what we now have as the New Testament. God was very present right there. God, God was very present in that situation. It didn't look like God was there. It didn't look like God was in control. But God was very present in that situation. He may not have been able to see God, but God was there. Hannah reminds us that God does some of his greatest work in difficult times. It was out of heartache and anguish and torment that Samuel was conceived. I don't know what you're going through, but I, I want you to know that God is not absent. story of Hannah teaches us that God is not absent in our pain. I, 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 want, I want us to understand that principle because it's a, it's a really important principle. And I don't want to belittle anyone's pain here today because some of you are going through some incredible pain just here this morning. I don't want to belittle that pain. I, don't want to, I just don't want to give you some short little cliche that says God is not absent in your pain. And, and you can leave. Thank you very much for coming to church on Sunday morning. It's not just a little cliche. It's a truth. It's a truth that has the capacity to help you and guide you through that situation. God is sovereign. He's in control. He is still above every circumstance and every situation. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is a faithful God. He's a trustworthy God. He is a loving God. And he will see us through in the name of Jesus. Hannah reminds us of that. Hannah reminds us of that. I can tell you, I, 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 you know, I, I, this is easy to preach. Can I hear an amen? I love preaching this stuff. I love it. Sometimes <laughs> what I've had to do is listen to some of my own sermons. <laughs> and I say to myself, did I say that? <laughs> what was I thinking? You know, um, It's easy to preach this stuff. It's not easy to do when you're in the valley. It's not easy to do when you're in the valley. But can I tell you, it's an anchor for our soul. Can I tell you, it's in the valley that we need some anchors. We need something to hang on to. We need something to help us through. We need something to guide us because the winds are just coming and blowing. And, and the winds are saying, well, why don't we shift this way? And why don't we go that way? And why don't we go the other way? Winds that have the capacity to destroy our life. But it's the anchors that will keep us still before the presence of God. Hannah reminds us, Hannah reminds us that God is not absent in our pain. She reminds us that God is there. Either he is sovereign, either he is the creator of the ends of the earth, or he's just a myth. He's just a figment of our imagination. And that's the decision that we need to make. Brings us to the second lesson we learned from this text. At the beginning of the chapter, we find Hannah that is broken in pain and anguish. By the end of the chapter, we find a completely different Hannah. We find a Hannah that is celebrating the birth of Samuel. What changed? What enabled her to move from despair to celebration? What changed her perspective? Now, I wish I, I, wish I could give you something that was deep and theological, you know, something that you really had to get your hand, head around and something that was, you know, difficult. I hate to break it to you, but it's pretty simple. It's one simple little thing called prayer. The Bible says, in bitterness of her soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. 
Then in Psalm, and then in verse 27 of the same chapter, I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. How do you tap into the purposes of God in painful situations? How do we turn a place of despair into a place of victory? How does our Shiloh, a terrible place that reminds us of our barrenness, become a place of victory? The way we do that is through prayer. Never underestimate the power of prayer. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Do you remember? We, talk, we said coincidences happen when we pray. Remember? Yeah. Story of the kitten. Remember that story? For those that were you, if you weren't here, you've got to listen to the tape. It's an amazing story. Some people say, well, if no one can frustrate the plans of God, then why pray? If God is above everything, then why pray? If God is in control and God is big and God is great, why pray? What difference is prayer really going to make? We talked about this with our international students this week. Um, and I don't understand everything there is to understand about prayer. Let me put it right out there, right, right today. You've heard me say that before. There is a dimension of mystery about prayer. But listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. The secret things, they belong to God, but the things revealed, they belong to us. What has God revealed? I'll tell you what God has revealed. God says pray. This theme runs throughout the whole Bible. I love, I love this. Jesus is teaching on prayer and he says, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door shall be opened. Now there's a sense in that scripture that if we don't do those things, then we don't receive. Now these are Jesus' words. This is Jesus asking. Psalm 34 verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me. I de he delivered me from all my fears. Powerful scripture. I sought the Lord. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all of my fears. Anybody have fear today? Anybody facing something that, 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 that brings the emotions of fear? Fear is an awful emotion. Fear is a terrible emotion. Fear is, has the capacity to paralyze us. Fear is the opposite of faith. Fear is we believe more that something bad is going to happen than believe that something good is going to happen. And it has the, it has the, it's an intense anxiety that has the capacity to paralyze us. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all of my fears. That's, that's the psalmist David actually writing those words. Do you know why he wrote those words? He wrote those words because he was facing some fear in his life. And he tells us how he dealt with it. He sought the Lord. Psalm 18, verse 6, in my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. Psalm 31, verse 22, in my alarm, I said, I'm cut off from your sight. Yet you heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help. In my alarm, I said, I'm cut off from your sight. You can't see me, God. You, you must be up there somewhere, but you must have forgotten me and you can't see me. Yet you heard my cry for mercy. So Peter was kept in prison, listen carefully, Acts 12 verse 5, because this is a principle, believe it or not, that's in the New Testament as well. So Peter was kept in prison, but listen, but the church was earnestly praying to, to God for him. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in his cell. He struck Peter on the, sh on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then... Then I will hear 
and bless and guide. What, 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 what is the condition to the promise? The condition to the promise is, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Now, I don't know everything there is to know about prayer, but I know the Bible encourages us to pray and to seek God and to cry out to God. I don't know what the outcome of my situation is going to be. That's the secret things. They belong to God. I don't know that. There are times where God will reveal that. There are times he doesn't. And all we have in those times is to trust and, and God and to hang on to God. There is a sense that as we pray, things begin to change in our life. God intervenes. Circumstances change. There's a sense that our prayer even has the capacity to change the mind of God. I was reading through Amos uh, recently. I'm just going through the Old Testament, um, the minor prophets at the moment. L listen to this verse. I've never seen it before. Listen to this. This is Amos, the reluctant prophet. He was a shepherd, and uh, God caused him to be a prophet. Listen to what he says. The sovereign Lord showed me a vision. I saw him preparing to send a vast swarm of locusts over the land. This was after the king's share had been harvested from the fields, and as the, as the main crop was coming up. So he, 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 God gives him a vision, and he shows him that... Uh, you know, they'd harvested one, one lot and then the next lot was about to come up and it was ready for harvest. In my vision, the locusts ate every green plant in sight. And then I said, O sovereign Lord, please forgive us or we will not survive for Israel is so small. There's his prayer. There's his intercession on behalf of Israel. So Amos chapter 7 verse 3. So the Lord relented from his plan. I will not do it, he said. I don't know about you, but I stopped. Uh, then the sovereign Lord showed me another vision. I saw him preparing to punish his people with a great fire. The fire had burned up the depths of the sea and was devouring the entire land. And then I said, oh, sovereign Lord, please stop or we will not survive for Israel is so small. And then the Lord relented from his plan too. I will not do that either, said the sovereign Lord. Now you can read into what, what you want. That's going to send some of you theologians into a bit of a spin. And that's quite okay. I'm pretty simple. I'm pretty basic. The text says he prayed and God changed his mind. And I'm going to take that. Because I believe in the power of prayer. Because I believe prayer changes things. I believe when the, when, when the church gathers together to pray, prison doors are open. Chains start to come off. When the church gathers together and begins to pray, in the can I hear an amen in the name of Jesus? I believe that a praying church will have some impact on the election next week. Amen. I believe that. I believe in the power of prayer. That's why we need to pray. Yes, we need to campaign. Well, we don't need to campaign. Yes, we need to be smart in how, in how we vote. And there's a lot of material on the internet about how we, sh as Christians, should be voting. But listen, the greatest weapon we have is prayer because prayer changes things. Come on, church. Yeah. Bible tells us that Ellie saw her, thought she was drunk. He said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord. I am a woman who's deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Bible says, uh, do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of the great anguish of my soul. Anyone ever prayed like that? Well, you didn't have the words to describe what you were feeling. And while she's praying, something is conceived. Something is conceived. That changes the world. Never underestimate the power of prayer. To help us tap into the purposes of God. Church, listen. That, listen that. Never underestimate the power of prayer. To help us tap into the purposes of God. 
I don't know what you're going through. I don't know why you're going through that. I don't know what the purposes of God are. The secret things belong to God. The things revealed belong to us. What has God revealed? He says, you seek my face. You ask, you seek, you knock, and you watch what I will do. Jim Simbler tells a story of his son-in-law and daughter that decide to adopt a, an Ethiopian child. Uh, they brought the child home and... Uh, Pastor Jim said he felt there was something different about this child. Son-in-law wants to find the parents of the child, so he goes back to Ethiopia. He knew he came from the southern part of um, Ethiopia, from a Muslim area, a little village. Drives six hours into Nowheresville to try to find this child's family. Finds the village and finds the father of the child. Father takes him to his heart, and on this heart is a sign. Inscription on the sign said, Jesus is Lord. Turns out the father of the child was a Christian. And he explains he had five children and uh, the mother, uh, his wife, had died, bled to death. There's no way he could take care of his child, so he, he takes this child to an orphanage. Father says, you need to meet my mother, the grandmother of the child. Uh, they're having a service even right now. And uh, so he takes, her, he takes him there and he meets the grandmother. The grandmother who's a strong Christian, a woman of faith, a Bible-believing Christian, a woman who believed in the power of prayer. She, she, she tells him, she says, I pleaded with my son not to adopt the child. I said I would raise him. Father said no. She says, I mourned for 30 days. And in that time, I prayed that God would watch over that baby. There are no mistakes in the kingdom of God. I pray that one day he would be a pastor. And here was this baby. He could have been adopted to anyone. But he was adopted into a pastor's home. God's setbacks are set up for what he wants to do. Maybe some of you here today in anguish, like Hannah, you're in pain. A pain that is deep and profound. I don't know why you're in the place that you're in. I don't know. I don't know what God is wanting to do in your life and in your situation. I don't know. But I can tell you this. I can tell you this with confidence. I can tell you this with confidence. Not because I read this in a book, just for the record. Not because I heard it in some seminar. Because this has been the testimony of my life. God is not absent in our pain. God is with you. And that if you will cry out to Him, He will use you and do something with your life. Where something can be conceived. In that place of despair, in that place of pain, in that place of anguish, in that place that seems so dark and so terrible, something can be conceived that has the capacity to change your life, your family, your future, your city, your nation, the world. Samuel changed the history of Israel. He was the greatest prophet that had ever lived in Israel. Your greatest setback may be a setup for what God is about to do. I'd like to ask those that are going to help us with communion this morning to come forward. We're going to get our hearts ready for communion. I, I, I love communion and I think it's so fitting. Because if you don't believe me yet, uh, there's another story in the Bible that teaches us this is true. It's the story of the cross. There was Jesus 
on a cross, hanging on a cross. It looked like it was the end. It looked like it was dark. It looked like it was finished. It looked like it was finished. It looked like God was absent. It looked like God had forgotten that Jesus was there on the cross, his own son. But Jesus was hanging on the cross because of divine purpose. And three days later, he rose from the dead. And church, that gives hope to each and every one of us. So this morning, we're not doing an altar call. We're not doing anything like that. Because I don't know the pain that some of you have. In your, I don't need a word of knowledge to know that there's a number of us that are going through some pain right now. number of people going through challenges. The answer is not church or religion or a human being. The answer is Jesus. Communion gives us an opportunity to touch the hem of his garment. Communion is an opportunity to reach out in faith and receive from the Lord. And that's what I pray is going to happen this morning. So as we sing, brethren are going to distribute the emblems. I want you to hold the cup and the bread in your hand, and then we're going to take communion together. Thank you.